0: this stuff up. The whole time we've been asking, who is David? Now let's ask, who's Saul? And and, and that's a complex answer because Saul is a complex person, but I think verse 5 really sums up Saul. Look at verse 5. And when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid, terror-filled, his heart. This defines Saul. When we first met Saul, we saw a very insecure person. Uh, As we've read about Saul throughout his life, he's constantly uh, full of fears. Afraid. Insecure. Always fretting. You fret a lot? And now his heart is filled with terror. In fact, I think Saul, Samuel knows about this with Saul right at the, at the beginning because the moment Saul's made king, Samuel just kind of becomes this helicopter parent to Saul. He's just always filling the gaps, always holding his hand, always telling him what to do, um, always trying to prop him up. And that's why verse 3 is a huge detail in this story. Now Samuel has died. Saul is lost without Samuel. Samuel is Saul's security. Samuel is Saul's spiritual father. Samuel was Saul's anchor. He's gone. How does Saul respond to this? Samuel being out of his life. Philistines confronting him. We'll look at verse 6. He turns to the Lord. But I want you to see the specifics of this text. Don't just read the first clause, but it, said, it says, he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams, Urim, or prophets. Maybe the Lord... Did answer him. Maybe the Lord was willing to answer him. But it seems that Saul turns to the Lord in the only way he knows how God, give me a prophet. God, give me a dream. God, let me roll the dice. In fact, it seems that Saul can only hear God through the sensational. Which is a very dangerous place to be with God. It's a very dangerous place to be in life. And this is not a remedy for fear. This pours gasoline on fear, which we'll see in a little bit. But this is all Saul knows. And when this doesn't work, he turns to something even more sensational. Verse 7, he finds a medium or a necromancer or some translate this a witch. He finds this woman in Endor. In fact, one of the things that you don't know is the the geography. Uh, The geography of this story is, let's say the stage up here is Mount Gilboa. The bleachers back there uh, um, is... uh, Moray, Mount Moray, where Shunem is. In the middle here, where all you guys are sitting, is a valley. Okay? Israelite army is up here on the stage on Gilboa. That's where Saul and his men are. Uh, Valley in the middle. Then there's Mount Moray in the bleachers. That's where the Philistine army is. And right past the Philistine army, Moray, is this place called Endor. Almost said Mordor. I did, I did, I did. I have to confess that. Um, So I want you to see how desperate Saul is to get there. He is risking his life. He disguises himself. He, 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 He goes out late at night under the cover of darkness. He does this hopefully knowing the text. Do you know the text? What does the text say about this? Can we do this? Yes or no? How do you know? What if God told you to do this? What if God told Saul to go do this? How do you know? Well, we should know the first five books of the Bible because they still are God's word, and in, in many ways, they still very much apply to us. Deuteronomy 18 uh, says this, when you arrive in the promised land, you must be very careful lest you be corrupted by the horrible custom, customs of the nations now living there. For example, any Israelite who presents his child to be burned to death as a sacrifice to heathen gods, and that was a prevalent pa- practice amongst the Canaanites, must be killed. No Israelite may practice black magic or call on the evil spirits for aid or be a fortune tell- teller or be a serpent charmer, a medium, a wizard. Or call forth the spirits of the dead. Anyone doing these things is an object of of horror and disgrace to the Lord. And it is because the nations did these things that the Lord your God displaced them. Now you don't do it yourselves, Israel. Very simply, God says, don't mess with this. Don't go there. Not because it's not real, but because it is real. And yet this is how desperate and off-track Saul is. Dressing up in a disguise, sneaking out late at night to a medium. Now before we beat Saul up, which is an easy thing to do, do we, do we pay our visits to Endor? What's indoor in our world? I have the privilege every Tuesday morning, right up in that room, right up there, to study with a bunch of guys. The guys that, that come up here and preach, from Dan Mike to Ryan Walkis, Aaron, Brandon, Max, and others. And I loved what Dan did a couple of weeks ago when he took us through the text and said, This is Gath, this is Gath for us today. Uh, this is um, Adulam, and this is what Adulam is for us today. So I said, Dan, do this for me, for uh, Endor. What, what, what is Endor for us today? And I, I can't give him all the credit here because I took what he gave me, and I seriously shaped it myself. Uh, but this is what we came up with. Endor is the place where we are tempted to go when our lives are desperate, when we're afraid and insecure. Indoor is that place we seek because it promises us control over who we are through spirituality. Though real, it is a spirituality that is false and essentially makes us false into spiritual phonies like Saul. Indoor is the place that gives us a false sense of control over our past, our present, and future where we become divorced from reality making us into spiritual schizophrenics or Saul's or fool's too deceived to know who we really are. Again, this is all done through spirituality. Indoor is the place where we speak spiritual truth outside of God and his word. Indoor is where we're promised salvation without having to trust God. Indoor is the place that promises us the silver bullet to live by, the spiritual formula that guarantees us the American dream, a life of comfort, blessing, and good relationship with God. Endoor is the place where we go, and we're too afraid to look in the mirror and acknowledge our flaws, and like Saul, we're, we're tempted to hide, and we find all kinds of ways to disguise ourselves, namely, through spirituality. And Endor always comes fully equipped with a soothsayer promising what we demand. We're talking about spirituality. Don't talk about God today, but you can talk about spirituality. Because spirituality today has become a big deal. Everything from horoscopes to palm readers to fortune tellers to psychics. And this spirituality is seeping into the church. So many people are turning to spirituality. Spirituality is, is, is one of the hottest things in our culture today. But here's what you need to know, is that people from the beginning of time have had this craving for a special knowledge of the supernatural. We want to know the spiritual realm. We want to figure out ways that we can tap into its power, where we can know the future to manipulate it and control it. In fact, one of the things that I'm studying right now is, is the Greco Roman uh, history. It's, it's fascinating to me as I study the Gre- Greco Roman religions because I'm learning all the things that people would do just to get an oracle from God, a prophecy, have these ecstatic experiences. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. And if you want to know where this all goes back to, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden because even that forbidden tree had a name, didn't it? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And see, from the beginning of time, there has been real spiritual knowledge and real spiritual power outside God in His Word. God's Word tells it tells us about it, but God says, don't go there. Don't go there. God says, I want you to eat out of my hand. You eat my words. And let that be enough. But we know what Adam and Eve did. They went there. Because they were seeking a greater spiritual knowledge. They listened to another voice other than the voice of God. They obeyed that voice, and you know the rest of the story. Now, I always like to ask the, what's the why underneath that what? Why, why do we have this desire for the spiritual? Look at Saul, he's insecure. And his whole life is is, is filled with fear. Much of this, I think, is a response to fear. And out of our fear, we want to believe that there's a prophet or a guru, someone who can give me a prophecy, someone who can explain my tomorrow and my future, someone who can tell me clearly what to do, what path I am to walk, who I am to marry, what job I'm supposed to take, how do I handle my problems, and what about Philistines? It's fear based. We want to believe that there's a power that we can tap into that will give us some control over our life and over our future. Libby and I lived a long time of our life in Chicago, and I'm telling you, I don't think this is an exaggeration at all. I I can't prove it, but if I had to guess, there are more psychics in Chicago than pastors. And you can laugh about Chicago, but I Googled it this week for Grand Rapids, and there are hundreds of psychics in Grand Rapids right now. And here's the deal. While you might not be Googling where the next seance is in Grand Rapids or making an appointment with a psychic... I want you to see this morning the danger of the world's notion of spirituality and how that notion is seeping into the church. Because it is dangerously destructive. Saul through this whole process actually gets Samuel. Think about that. And you ask, well is that real? I don't think God's word would instruct his people to empty the land of mediums if this wasn't real. And look at verse 15. Samuel comes forth and says, Why are you disturbing me? Almost like I'm sleeping. What are you wanting now? Kind of deal. What does Saul say? Samuel, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of the Philistines and God has left me, he no longer answers me through dreams and prophecy, so I have called on you. Saul, does that mean that God isn't answering you just because he didn't answer you through a dream or prophecy? Do you see what a dangerous place Saul has entered? And what I want to know is how did Saul get to this place? Because I think the seeds were sown in Saul's heart going all the way back to 1 Samuel 10. Just turning your Bibles there. This speaks of Saul's anointing. Samuel gives him clear instructions. Look at verse five. This is found on page two twenty. Samuel says, "After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. And as you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place, with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them. And they will be in ecstasy. Ecstasy. That's that's the literal word in Hebrew. These ecstatic utterances." The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, Saul, and you will enter into these utter ecstatic utterances. And you will be changed into a different person. And one of the signs is whatever your hand finds you to do, do it, for God is with you. This is one of many experiences that the text tells us about Saul with the company of prophets. And it's always described with the Hebrew uh, equivalent of the word ecstasy. In fact, Saul himself many times is called to be one of the prophets. Now some of you might celebrate this. But I weep for this man at this point. Because this sets the whole course for Saul's reign as king. I don't know if Samuel did this, but in my mind what Samuel should have done is he should have taken Saul to Deuteronomy 17 where God gives specific instructions to his king. Where God says, when you get in the land and when you set a king over you, the king must not increase his assets, his silver or gold. He must not increase his wives and and all of that. And what he must do is he must make a personal copy with his own hand of Torah and meditate on it day and night so that he can shepherd my people faithfully. There is no indication that Saul ever did this there is every indication that David did. How do I know that? I read the Psalms. The first 41 Psalms are attributed to David. Not that it's limited to those, but think about that. The first 41. And think about the first Psalm, where David says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, Or stand in the company of sinners or sit at the seat of mediums. But his delight is in the Torah of God and on it he meditates day and night. This stuff isn't a joke. And when you read the Psalms, what what you see when you know God's word is, wow, is this a man who's saturated in the word of God. He knows it because he's singing it. He's praying it. And yet Saul has this spirituality of sensationalism, prophecy, dreams, ecstatic experiences that's devoid of God's word. I'm going to say this right now. The front end of this sounds so promising and self-exalting. But tell me, what happens then when you don't get the dream? What happens when you don't get the prophecy? What happens when you don't get that special word of God? What happens when you don't get the spiritual high? You start to no longer feel that you're worthy of God or that God cares about you. You start to think that there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with God. And really all you've done is created an unbiblical straw man that in time is going to crumble. And when it crumbles, you and your faith will crumble with it. Take fear. Take insecurity. These are all things that, that, that we deal with. David dealt with with fear. Saul dealt with fear. I want you to see the difference between a word-saturated man and a spiritual sensation kind of person. David isn't like Saul, like this little spoiled kid who needs instant gratification from his parents. Give me candy and give it to me now. Read the psalms. David says things. I waited patiently for the Lord. I waited on him. Look at Psalm 37. It's such a powerful psalm that I have to turn to all the time. You know why? I'm a fretter. Are you a fretter? You bite your nails all the time? You rub your hands? Those are signs of fretting. Psalm 37, starting with verse 7, David says, Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him, and do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. Why is it, why is David a man who can say that to his own soul? Soul, do not fret because it's only going to lead to evil. Because David is also the same guy who can say, even though a whole army surround me, even then will I not be afraid for, because the Lord is with me and I trust in him. When you say that in life's most trying times, that you will wait upon the Lord, you'll wait patiently, and you won't need things instantly, like right now, in the way that you think you need it from God, will you just wait? See, the people who can say, I, I waited patiently upon the Lord, are, are the same people who say in Psalm 1, on your word, I meditate day and night. And the person who who insists on the sensational, whether it be dreams or prophecy or, or quick fixes, they only become more fearful, more paranoid, more insecure, more terrorized because their expectation of normal is way up here. And what happens when the norm isn't met? I'll tell you what's most scary about this, though. This is what's most scary. Do you know the times when Saul is picking up a spear and throwing it at David? Are coming right out of the times when he's having these spiritual, ecstatic experiences with God? Read it. And and, and, and you... You know why he has the freedom out of those ecstatic experiences with God to pick up a spear and throw it at David? I think it goes all the way back to the verse that we read in 1 Samuel 10, verse 7. Read it. Starting with 6, The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you. Verse 7, Once these signs are fulfilled, whatever your hand finds to do, do it, Saul. Saul. Just do it. Even if it means picking up a spear and killing David, just do it. I am not denying that God cannot speak... Through dreams, I am not denying the fact that God cannot prophesy. I am not denying that there are not times when God does uh, things that we would call absolutely sensational. But for you and I to insist on it makes us like little spoiled kids who always demand instant gratification with God. And when you read the Bible, you see that dreams and prophecy are always for God to decide, never us. Prophets in the Bible didn't decide to be prophets. God raised up the prophet. And God gives the prophetic word to whom He wants and when He wants. It's not for anyone to control or manipulate. And shame on us for going around God's word to get the special word from God. You're at the wrong church. I'll say it right now. You're at the wrong church. Because as your pastor, I am tired of picking up on the back end the, the, the pieces of people who have gone this route, who come to me so discouraged, so demoralized, so stripped of all their worth. What's wrong with me, Rod? I don't hear God's voice. I want to say to them, what do you mean? Read it. What's wrong with me, Rod? I don't see miracles in my life. And I just want to say, are you kidding me? In that pause right there, there were hundreds of miracles that just took place in this room. Every breath we take is a miracle from God. And just because we don't get miracles on demand when we want them and how we want them to come doesn't mean there's not a miracle. I'm saying this because I'm pastoring you. stop insulting god with he hasn't spoken to me are are you serious he hasn't spoken shame on us shame on us for being little kids demanding candy when god has given us a feast a feast let me ask it from this angle what is spirituality What is spirituality according to God? Well, Listen to what Samuel says to Saul. Look at verse 16. Now we're back in chapter 28. And yeah, I do believe this is Samuel speaking. (laughs) Samuel said, Why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you? And become your enemy. The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has turned the kingdom of yours and, and he's given it over to your neighbor to David. Why? Saul, so you want a simple answer? Because you didn't obey God. You didn't obey him. If you want to know what obedience if you want to know what spirituality is to God, it's obedience. And see, you and I, we, we, we may look at, at the sin of consulting with mediums and psychics as this huge thing that we, we would never do. But let's be careful to not too quickly conclude that we're not Saul because all we need to do then is go back to this event that Samuel's bringing up in 1 Samuel 15. And let's just go there. Because this is the whole event of, 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 Sam, of Saul's disobedience and Samuel confronting it In verse 22, Samuel's response, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than whatever we would call spirituality. And then Saul continues, look at this, To obey is better than sacrifice. Uh, To heat is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion, disobedience, is like the sin of divination. In other words, go down with... Let me explain what he's saying here. When we disobey God, it's as if we went to a psychic. Because I want you to see what it takes to disobey. It takes me listening and obeying another voice other than God's voice. That can be my own voice that I'm heeding and listening to. That could be your voice. It can be the voice of our culture. It can be the voice of my peer group. Or it can be the voice of a psychic. It doesn't matter. They're all in the same bucket when it's different than hearing God's voice and doing what God asks us to do. Which is why the most spiritual thing that we can ever do is obey God. I had a lady call me this week. She said, Rod, I was so addicted to alcohol, I should be dead. She said, I have been set free for two and a half years. She said, I want you to know the best sermon you ever preach, and it's not even close. In fact, it was a little sermon within your sermon. In fact, it was two words. It's when you said, Obey God. She said, That's what's changed me, is when my spirituality became obedience. That's, what, that's spirituality to God. And you know what? Over and over again, God says, Obey me. Read Deuteronomy this week. Shema itself, Shema Israel, Adonai Oheinu, Adonai Echad, Shema in the Hebrew means not just hear, it means obey. It's the same word. Obey me, O Israel. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And then he he tells all these disciples, now go into all my world. And you teach them how to obey, how I taught you how to obey. Jesus' whole life was a life where he was saturated with the word of God. And he obeyed it even to the very end. It, it, It led him right to a cross and he was obedient even unto death itself. And see, when you and I can accept that spirituality according to God is a long obedience in the same direction, and it's not the sensational, but it's this mundane faithfulness, now we're walking the path of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, all the spiritual greats, Jesus. And here's what's always connected to obedience in the Bible, is repentance. Repentance. Because here's the deal. We are going to blow it. We are going to fail. We, we, we are going to sin. And, and, and when we do, we, we repent. In fact, this is the only difference between a Saul and a David. They both blow it, there is enormous sin and failure in both of their lives. But the difference between them is that David repents, Saul doesn't. All Saul can do is have remorse and regret, he never repents. Because it takes tons of humility to repent. It takes hun- tons of humility to acknowledge my flaws. To not just label those flaws as brokenness. But to call those flaws sin. And to not say, but the woman made me do it. Or to say, a demon caused me to do it. I did it. And God have mercy on me, a sinner. It takes humility. Saul's too proud to repent, too proud to acknowledge his flaws. He constantly disguises himself and dresses himself up. Do you know what the Lord's anointed, David, is doing at this time? He is now rising up against Saul. Now, maybe I'm taking too much liberty with this picture. But we talk so often about the grace and the love and the mercy of God. But there is going to come a time when the Lord's anointed is going to rise up against the unrepentant. That was a great spot for an amen. There is going to be a day of reckoning. And on that day, the Samuels in our life aren't going to matter. They're not going to be there to make a difference. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand before the Lord? Now, if you don't know this story that we're reading right now... um, This is actually the last day of Saul's life. He's going to die the next day in battle. And even in this moment, I want us to know it's not too late for Saul. I mean, imagine if Saul had the same desperation to seek out God the way he seeks out Endor. Imagine Saul falling prostrate before God the same way he falls prostrate before Samuel. Imagine if Saul came seeking God with with this kind of humility and brokenness. Not God, give me a prophetic word, but God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Saul's too proud. He's what the Bible would call a fool. He settles for spirituality because it's all he knows. The woman sees that Saul is drained of, of all of all of life and, and strength. Look at verse 22. She begs Saul, Saul, please. let me prepare a feast for you. And I want you to know that this is the end. This is what spirituality will do to a person. It will start off with a bunch of excitement, but it will end by being the most tiring and draining and exhausting thing there is and i'll tell you why it is because at at the end of the day spirituality is still all about me it's about me having to master all the special knowledge learn all the special techniques all the striving the fasting the performing then you get to the point where you're like the priest of baal and you're cutting yourself doing whatever you can to get god's attention it's exhausting This lady begs Saul to serve him a feast. Saul's fasting. It's not spiritual to eat, but finally he gives in. This is Saul's last supper. He is obedient to this woman. He eats from her table a meal that will lead to his death. This is the clincher for Saul. This is how it ends. This is his last hurrah. He sits down and he eats a Last Supper presented to him by a witch. There's another Last Supper that's offered to us by the one and true Lord's anointed. It's a meal that's offered to sinners. And rather than bringing death, it brings life. Because Jesus, the one and true anointed one, didn't come to the world to bring spirituality. But he came to the world to actually stand in our place. To live the life that we are supposed to live. To die the death that we deserve to die. He didn't come to say, here's the technique to master. Here's the special knowledge that you need to attain. But he came offering us his very life and his righteousness. And he said, here it is. And he made it into a feast. And he said, eat it, drink it. And he said, it's for sinners. Repentant sinners. Repentance is literally saying, nothing in my hands I bring, but turning from me and all my striving and all my rebellion and turning to God and saying, simply to your cross I cling." And I don't then obey to get God to like me and accept me. But because he does like me, because he does accept me, I obey. When I see him carrying the cross for me, it makes me want to take up my cross and follow him. I'm going to end with this question. I want everybody to just... We're not going to do anything crazy, but just close your eyes. What table are you sitting at? Whose word are you listening to? Whose word are you trusting? Whose word? Are you obeying? Amen. This is how we're ending this morning. Unless someone has a song they'd love to, to just sing a cappella. Anyone? Going once? Twice? Before I say three times, Dave Vandervelde, you have anything? <laughs> Have a great week, you guys.